rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. I wore a street jacket for you all. Is that nice? Turning a new leaf, new haircut, new jacket. It's a new me. <laughs> Hope you're all well. My name is Jimmy. Welcome this morning, particularly if you're a guest with us on this special day, Mother's Day. Uh, I'm so thankful for my own mother. She is a resilient woman. I am a terrible child growing up. I was just so naughty and so annoying probably perhaps, but she was a woman of grace and love and would just help me to be the man I am today. So I'm so thankful for my mum and I hope you're thankful for your mum as well. And as Camille mentioned as well, it's a day of joy but it's also a day of grief. You know, Mother's Day can be a day where pain memories come up, the loss of a child or perhaps your own relationship with your mother as well is strained and difficult. And I hope this morning you will be reminded of the God who loves you and cares for you, who has a plan and a future for you, and in fact, who loves us like a mother does. And I think in Isaiah 66, he says this, As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. So be mindful of that this morning. As we gather as God's people, he loves us. He gathers us together to comfort us and to remind us that he cares for us deeply. With that in mind, we're actually going to turn to probably the most famous mother of all time, the mother of the Son of God. And we're going to learn from her this morning about her, the journey, her life, and look at particularly her response to when she found out she was going to be a mother. She sang this song just read for us before, and we're going to learn this morning about, I guess, how she thinks and feels about her future and why that also gives her so much joy in the present. But before we begin, how about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. And we pray this morning that as we come before you in your word, as we come to learn from Mary this morning, as she speaks to us, as you speak through her, help us, Lord, to, to give us hope for the future and joy in the present. Help us to see that your word never fails. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. One of my favorite movies growing up, and perhaps... Yours as well, maybe, was the Back to the Future series. Anyone familiar with the Back to the Future series? I used to love this movie growing up. It would come on TV you know, once or twice a year, if you know. It's on Channel 9 or Channel 10. And when it came on, I'd be like, yes! My Fridays and Saturdays, I saw it for at least two or three weeks. This is fantastic. I loved it. I loved all the visuals. I loved the idea of what the future would look like. I'm still holding out for a hoverboard to come to reality at some point. 
very excited about that. By my calculations, though, it's three years late, and so hopefully it will be there one day. I'm not holding out, though. At the end of the third film, Doc Brown travels into the present day on his steam-powered time machine to say well to Marty McFly and, and Jennifer as well, his girlfriend, before they adventure back off in time somewhere. And Jennifer asked Doc Brown about a piece of paper she got from the future that said, you're fired. And then when she came back to the present day, after a certain amount of time, the, the words just disappeared. And she says to Doc Brown, what does this mean? And Doc Brown says this, it means your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it to be, so make it a good one. Have you heard people talk about the future like that? The future is yours. The future is in your hands. The future is yours for the taking. There are so many books, so many films like this one, so many educational programs that want to tell us the future is yours. It's yours to grab hold of. And if you want to ensure a good future, to make whatever you want of it, then you've got to make sure you grab hold of it now so you can see that future realized in the future. We might, you know, do all kinds of things to ensure that future hope, to ensure that our hopeful future is going to be good and what we want to make it to be. So we might spend so much time in the present investing money or finances in property, in stocks. We might make contributions to our super funds and play with our investments there as well to ensure a, the best return in the future. We might study really, really hard to earn that job or work really hard to get that promotion so we can pay off our mortgage and live that lifestyle we want to live in the future. We might even sacrifice certain relationships with particular people because we know that those relationships won't get us very far, but these ones will. And so we'll focus on these key relationships because they will ensure us the future that we are hoping for. We might base every decision we make in our life, our time, our money, our energy, on what future will ensure us the best future, the hopeful future that we all so desire. But doing all these things, does it really assure us of a hopeful future? Does doing all these things really guarantee that our future will be filled with hope and what we want to make it to be? There are three letters I think, that undermine this completely. GFC. The GFC, the Great Financial Crisis. To me, in 2008, the Great Financial Crisis prove how vulnerable and fragile our future hope can be. No matter how firm we think we are financially, in our security, our assets, no matter how firm we think we've got a grip on our future, the GFC proved that that can all just slip through our fingers overnight like that. And when the future is proven to be out of our grasp and vulnerable beyond our control, it makes joy in the present a struggle because we are constantly worried about what our future will be. How are we going to ensure the life that we want to live and have peace and joy in the present? How can we have hope for the future when it seems so fickle, how can we have joy in the present when it seems so hard? This is where the young girl's voice, a young pregnant girl's voice, gives us great wisdom for life. 
in Mary, we have someone who really doesn't have much hope for the future and where joy in the present in the first century for a woman is a struggle. In the eyes of the world, she's a nobody. She's lowly. She's poor. Someone in our world today would consider as not having much hope. Not much reason to have joy. But despite our world's impression of her, she presents herself as someone who has certain hope for the future, not just her own future, but her nation's future as well, and joy in the present. Why is that? Why does someone like Mary have such joy and such hope? It's because she has heard the word of God. An angel Gabriel comes to her and tells her that she is going to have a son. That son is going to be Jesus and he's going to be king, king of God's people. He's going to bring salvation. And Mary's like, well, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. I'm not sure how I'm going to have a child. And then Gabriel tells her, no, it's going to happen because God is powerful. He's going to come over you and shadow you. And he's going to give you a child by the Spirit of God. And you know why? Because his word never fails. He says to her in verse 17, For no word from God will ever fail. This word says something about Mary, about the hope she has for the future is based on this word. The joy she has in the present is based on this word. And that's why she sings. She sings because she has heard the word of God and that gives her hope and it gives her joy. And we're going to reflect on this song together. And this song is broken in two parts. The first kind of gives us her personal response and why she has joy in the present. And the second half talks about her future hope. But we're going to do it in reverse order. We're going to talk about the future hope first, the second half of the song. And then we're going to go to the first part of the song after that and look at why she has such joy. So, firstly, hope for the future belongs to those who fear God. The second part of the song begins at verse 50, which kind of acts like a transitioning verse between the first part and the second part. And it says this, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Mary reflects on her experience with God as paradigmatic of how God will always act towards His people who fear Him. He will always act with mercy and with grace. Mary understands that, that she has received merciful favor from God because she fears God. That's how she describes her relationship with God, one of fear. Fear is a bit of a loaded term, isn't it? No one likes to describe their relationship with God as one of fear. We talk about how God loves us, that He loves us, and we love Him. But no one talks about how we fear God. That's how Mary describes her relationship with God, one of fear. Now don't get me wrong, she's not afraid of God like a child is afraid of the dark or like I'm afraid of heights. I'm petrified of heights. I don't like heights at all. I will never do the Sydney Harbour Bridge climb. It's not like that kind of fear. Mary's fear is the proper response for those who see God, who recognize Him and act accordingly. They see that he is the one in power, the one with all authority, and they act accordingly. It's kind of like if you were to come before the Queen of England. You'd recognize her straight away. 
you wouldn't just go up to her and just shake her hand and go, how you doing? That would be great disrespect. You wouldn't speak to her unless she spoke to you. And you do that because you recognize her. You're not afraid of her like you're afraid of the dark maybe, but you would recognize her as someone with power and with authority and you would be respectful. And in that sense, you would have this reverent fear. You'd wait until she approached you and said, what's your name? And then you respond accordingly. In the same way, Mary fears God in the way that she sees him, recognizes him, and she responds accordingly. We perhaps don't like the word fear being used because we see so many people in positions of power and authority wielding their power to entrap people in the kind of fear that brings dread, that brings pain, that brings suffering, that kind of quashes all hope for the future. But we've got to see here, Mary's fear doesn't produce dread. It produces hope. Hope for the future. Why is that? Because this world doesn't see it. Well, whilst the world doesn't see it, God is the one who is truly in the position of power and authority above all others. And whilst the ruling class, the rich, the proud, the arrogant might do everything they can to steal away the future of those who are poor, those who are vulnerable, the lowly, the hungry, they can't do that because the future actually belongs to God. That's what Mary sees here. That's why her fear produces hope, because she sees the future belongs to God. And he promises to, reser- to, to kind of reverse the social order of things in this world, giving all who feel trapped by those in, in, a, in positions of power and authority who, who dread, he promises to give those people hope for their future. And that's where we come to the, that second part of the song where he, she says this, He has performed mighty deeds of his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in, in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Now you might think, hold on, hold on, Mary is speaking in the past tense here. How could she be talking about her future hope, about what God will do when she's speaking in the past tense? I think the key to understanding this is to remember this song kind of arises out of faith in response to God's word about her bearing the Messiah, her bearing the Son of God who will come and be king and rule over her people. So therefore, Mary is singing in light of what will happen in the future. Mary is singing in light and placing her hope in what this king will do. And I think, and I think the reason why she uses the past tense to describe what God is going to do is because she sees that what will happen in the future as if it's already done. She's so certain about this king's power, so certain of what this king will do, that she talks about it as if it's already done. Though she lives in the world full of sin and corruption, under the harsh power of foreign occupation, she has hope that God will bring down all rulers and lift up the humble. Though she lives in a world where the proud and arrogant are rich and get rich at the expense of the poor, she has hope that God will scatter them and send them away and bring in the hungry and fill them and give them life and satisfy them. Mary has hope for the future, not because it's hers for the taking, 
Not because she can make whatever she wants of it. No, Mary has hope for the future because she knows that future belongs to God. And she fears God, and rightly so, because she knows only God can give her a future, but also God can take away our future. As she says, remember in the song, God lifts up the humble, but brings down rulers. God feeds the hungry, but sends the rich away empty. God has a future for those who fear him, who see him, and know it's him who has all power and authority, and him who can give us hope for the future. So where have you placed your hope for the future? As you look at your life, where is your hope placed? As we saw at the beginning with our world, would have us believe that we can orchestrate our own future. It's in our hands. We can assure it. We can guarantee it. Our world would have us believe that we have that power. But the reality is we don't. And that leads to all kinds of anxiety and stress as we work tirelessly to try and secure our future hope. But Mary finds hope knowing her God and how powerful he is and knowing that this that his powerful word never fails. So she puts her hope and trust in him, not fearing anything in this world except God, because he is the one who can give a future, and he is the only one who can take it away. There's nothing in this world that can take away your future. The GFC might have looked like that, but for those who trust in God, those who fear God, those who know God is in control of all things, you can have hope in a world that's so full of hopelessness. Because, I mean, it's pretty incredible. A young girl has a lot to fear in the first century, right? Especially a young girl who is about to have a child out of wedlock. It's incredible how resilient this young mother, soon-to-be mother, is. And you'd think fear, dread, is the proper response for Mary. Her future doesn't look good. The next nine months don't look good. How do you tell your mother, your father, your friends that you're having a baby in the first century out of wedlock? But she doesn't respond with dread. She responds with hope. Because she knows her future's in God's hands. Likewise, there are so many things in this world that are pretty scary. So many things in this world that can give us dread, that can overwhelm us. But we must take a leaf from Mary's book. Don't let those things take away your hope, because those things can't. Only God has the power to give and take away hope, and he gives hope for the future to those who fear him, to those who know him, to those who see him and respond accordingly. And when we have that hope for the future, it makes joy in the present oh so much easier. And that's where we come to the next part of her song, or at least the first part of her song. Joy in the present, this is the second point, joy in the present belongs to those who rejoice in God. This is where we turn to the beginning here, and we look at her initial reaction. She's heard God's word, the promises that she's going to have a baby, it's going to be the Messiah, he's going to be king, she hears that confirmed by her cousin Elizabeth and she responds by breaking into song, saying, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
When you hear something good, you can't help but rejoice, right? And shout it out with people. And have you noticed when you are joyful about something, you have to share about it, don't you? It's almost as if the joy is not complete until you tell other people about your joy. I remember when I got engaged to Katie. Very exciting time of my life. Proposing to her and getting engaged. And we just wanted to tell everyone about it. And we told our parents, then we put it on Facebook and social media. And we were so excited to see everyone else excited for us as well. I remember even before that, when I knew that I was going to marry Katie, I knew that I was going to propose to her. I was at Broadway. I had just finished a shift at Optus. I was outside the Lansdowne Hotel. And I rang my dad and I said, Dad, I'm going to marry Katie. And he was so overjoyed. And he couldn't wait to tell mum and other people. And I said, Dad, just relax. Tell mum, but don't tell anyone else. When we receive good news, we have to share about it. In some sense, it's not complete until we do. And that's why Mary breaks into song and rejoices at this moment because she has experienced something so good, something so good that, that we don't expect to happen for a first century girl. And that's this. So the Creator, the God of heaven and earth, has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. She is overwhelmed that God would look upon her and choose her for this special task of bearing the Messiah. Despite her lowly estate, despite who she is, she is no queen, no princess. She is not of any prominence in any society whatsoever. She is not of the ruling class, an aristocrat. She is of a low socio-economical status, a nobody in the scheme of things. And despite all that, God entrusts her with this responsibility to be the mother of the Lord Jesus. And whilst this is surprising for our world today to see this, it doesn't surprise us when it comes to God, really. As God said to David back way back, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And as Mary says herself, God is the one who brings down rulers and lifts up the humble. In Mary, we're seeing this future realize, aren't we? We're beginning to see God at work. He's beginning to use people who are unlikely to reverse the social order of this world. That's the basis for Mary's joy. She recognizes in God who God says she is as value with dignity, not in what the world says she is. If we are looking to anchor our joy in what this world says we are, we will be bitterly disappointed when we don't match up. We don't climb that status ladder enough to achieve the ex expectations of those around us. Or if we are on top, we'll be filled with stress and anxiety in ensuring we stay on the top. Ensuring that we keep that image, we keep that picture of who we are to people around us that gives us joy. But when we find joy, not in what this world says we are, what we should be, but in God, we have the freedom to acknowledge who we are as sinful people. People who are not perfect, but yet accepted before God. Who's been mindful of us. Mary has this freedom to go, you know what, I am of lowly estate. I am a sinful person. But God has been mindful of me. 
And I define who I am based on what he says I am. And joy doesn't mean in the present that life stops being difficult. In fact, because Mary is favoured by God, her life gets even more difficult at this point. I mean, she is on the run when Jesus is born, or about to be Jesus is born. From Herod, who wants to kill all these firstborn babies, trying to find this soon-to-be king. So she's on the run for her life. Life is difficult for her as the one who is favoured by God, as the one who finds joy in God. But when we rejoice in God for who he says we are, we can face any difficulty and strife in our lives because our joy is not anchored in the circumstances that surround us, but our joy is anchored in the God who has a future for us. Future hope and present joy are so interconnected and it's so hard to talk about one without the other. We are joyful in the present because of the God who holds our future. And he is gracious and loving to the humble and merciful towards those who fear him. We can trust that the future God has for us will come about in Jesus Christ. And that means that we can be joyful in the present, knowing that the future is secured. We can live life well, knowing that God is good to those who love him and fear him. So where is your joy anchored? Where do you find your joy in life? Is it in the stuff, in the circumstances of life? Or is it in God? Many things in life can bring us joy, and they are good things, by the way. Things that God gives us. Now, joy. There's so much joy when we hear of a newborn baby or pregnancy. There's so much joy when we hear of an engagement or go to a wedding. There's so much joy when that good friend of yours or that son or daughter of yours gets that job or gets that promotion. And you want to celebrate and rejoice. There's so much joy when you hear back from the doctor the all clear and you want to share that with people. And these things are all good and they're from God. And they point to God's mercy and grace no matter who you are. But if your joy is anchored in these things, if your joy is anchored in these circumstances of life, then you will be disappointed and stressed and anxious when that engagement gets broken up, when that marriage ends in divorce, when, you're, when you or your friends lose your job, when your family breaks down, when that all clear turns into a relapse of disease. That threatens your life or someone dear to you and close to you. Whilst there are so many good things in life that bring joy, those things can't give you hope for the future because of sin and because of the reality of this world. When you wake up tomorrow and face whatever it is that you have to face in life, you can face it anchoring your joy in the God who has a hope for the future no matter what, even in the face of pain and strife, in the face of difficulty. When we anchor our joy in God, then we are able to say with the psalmist, Whom to have I in heaven but you? There is nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail. My marriage may fail. My job may fail. My pregnancy may fail. My life may fail. But you, Lord, are the strength of my heart and portion forever. We'll be able to say with this young, but also wise and impressive, resilient young girl, 
12 or 13 or 14 years old and soon to be mother, my soul glorifies God. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Amen.